0: we come to another doctrine of grace that for some people is very difficult. But for me, after I've come to realize that the scriptures teach this magnificent doctrine called predestination, it really has brought great blessings to me personally, because I realize that my great and awesome God, before the foundation of the world, not only predestined or predetermined to save me, but every single man and woman that is in Christ Jesus as Lord is in that same position. Father, it's a magnificent, precious doctrine to know that you loved us, that you were willing to predetermine to save us before you ever created anything in the world. And that thought just blesses me beyond measure. And my hope is that all of us at the end of this study We'll fall that much more in love with you when we recognize that our salvation is fully and solely and wholly of you. So tonight, illuminate our our hearts, illuminate our minds, and help us to embrace this great truth found in the Holy Scriptures, the doctrine of predestination. Father, we ask that you would enlighten us and make it so easy for us. We do so in the magnificent name of your precious and most dearest Son our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, last week we began looking at the doctrine of predestination. Let me grab one more. Jeff walked in. And I said to you last week that the doctrine of predestination is the twin brother to the doctrine we looked at last, and that was foreknowledge. And I said to you that that doctrine of predestination is the second link in the chain of salvation. And uh, I said to you that predestination and foreknowledge are so closely related that some people believe that they're really synonymous. But I said to you, because the fact that scripture deals with them separately, we will follow suit using scripture as our pattern. So I said to you last week, the simplest form, the simplest form of predestination refers to God's choice of individuals for eternal life. In other words, it is a predetermined appointment with salvation. God predetermined all believers in him to a predetermined appointment to be saved. And that was the process of predestination. Now in your outlines, I've got two quotes. I'm going to go ahead and read them. And then I'll move along real quickly to catch up where we were last week. From last week, yeah. Does everybody have last week's outline? Okay, good. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, predestination is simply a description of the destiny that God has determined and decided upon for the people whom God had foreknown. John MacArthur said, From foreknowledge, which looks at the beginning of God's purpose in his act of choosing, God's plan of redemption moves to his predestination, which looks at the end of God's purpose in his act of choosing. End of quote. Beloved, I said this to you last week, and I just want to repeat it. From all eternity, from the very beginning, before you and I or anyone or anything ever existed, God decided to save some members of the human race and to let the rest of the human race perish. God made a choice. He chose some individuals to be saved into everlasting blessedness and others he chose to pass over to allow them to follow the consequences of their sin into eternal torment. Now I quoted Matthew chapter 20 verse 15 last week. Is it not lawful for God to do what he wishes with his own? The answer is yes. Friends, the vexing problem with predestination is that God does not choose to elect everyone. Now, right out of the gate, the thought of predestination can be repugnant to the carnal mind. It can be. But I said to you last week... What we never want to do when it comes to the subject of predestination is to call into question God's justice. Do you remember that last week? Never call into question God's justice. If God exercised justly, no one would be saved. No one. None of us are worthy of salvation but he found good pleasure in exercising his will to save some. You and I are beneficiaries of that. Now, the one more thing I want to remind you that I said last week, our reasoning, our ability to understand and reason has been corrupted by sin. Original sin has tainted our ability to reason. Therefore, because that's the case, we also have a corrupt understanding. Psalm 50, verse 1. And you thought that I was altogether like you. That's God speaking. You thought that I was altogether like you. You see, we can't allow our corrupt reasoning to determine divine truth. So once again, we turn to the only source of truth that is uncorrupted by the fall. And that, of course, is the Holy Scriptures, the Bible. And I want to emphasize that our only response to God's revelation is to submit ourselves totally to it and recognizing that it's the inspiration of Scripture. To come to Scripture as if we know nothing and allow God to speak. So I began last week, and I'm going to begin this week with the same exact quote from Jonah 2.9. Jonah 2.9 says that salvation is of the Lord. Now, last week I said to you, that verse is unambiguous. And I asked you, was there not a time when you would not come to Christ that you might have life? John 5.40, the answer is yes. If we would be honest with ourselves, there was a time when all of us in this sanctuary would not come to Christ to have eternal life. Now, I said this last week, and I'm going to ask you again. Now, how is it something has changed? How is it that now we're willing to come to Christ? What happened? If there was a time in all of our lives when we were not willing to come to Christ for salvation, what took place? I said to you last week, did we get smart all of a sudden? Did all of a sudden we wake up one morning and we got brilliant? Is there something good about us? Well, you guys all know the answer is no. May I suggest that it was God who was able to subdue your will and win your heart? That's what changed. And may I say that God never does that with, uh, in accordance of your will? He doesn't do it against you the accordance of your will? He doesn't ever coerce you to come to faith. He doesn't violate your will. God does so without interfering with your moral response. And that's why the great apostle John said in 1 John four nineteen, we love him because he first loved us. It's true. So again, Matthew 20, 15, is it not lawful for God to do what he wishes with his own? The answer is yes, he can. So beloved, it is God himself, God himself who makes the difference between the elect and the non-elect. And I remind you what Jesus said in John ten twenty seven: my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. So now I ask, how is that done? Well, last week, in your outlines, uh, forgive me, they're not in your outlines. Last week I said to you, the very first thing I want to flush out of our text in romans eight twenty eight is this: God's predetermination. <coughs> Excuse me, would you turn once again to Romans chapter eight? And look with me at verses 28 through 30. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. And as you're turning there, I want to say this to you. This is a monumental text, which is really the undergirding of our salvation. Paul will list clearly five components, five elements, five links, if you will, in the chain of salvation. So let's begin. Verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom God foreknew, God also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom God predestined, these God also called. And whom God called, these God also justified. And whom God justified, these he also glorified. Friends, there are the five links in the chain of salvation. Foreknowledge, predestination, election realized in the call, justification and glorification, all components actually in the doctrines of grace. But for our purposes tonight, we're interested in the word predestination, the predestination of God's people. Thus, moving along quickly here, predestination is effectively God. Carrying out his sovereign plan and will in the case of those who are foreordained to salvation. Now, those who are foreordained to salvation are the elect, the true believer in Jesus Christ. They are the ones in whom God is predetermining to save. Verse 29. Look with me again. For whom God foreordained, he also predestined. Now, remember the word predestined, we actually looked at this back in foreknowledge. But again, predestined comes from a Greek word, perusio, which literally means, and this is critical, friends. It means to predetermine to determine beforehand to mark out beforehand to foreordain now the word is synonymous with determined in scripture and these interchangeable words are always used always used in a verb form denoting The action by another. The action by another is God. God is doing the action. God is predetermining beforehand the salvation of the believer. God's doing it. Now, because we looked at it last week, and I want to wrap it up, just make a note. Last week, we turned, if you recall, and we looked at Romans chapter 9, verses 21 through 24. But in verse 23, we came across this phrase, prepared beforehand. And I said to you, in verse 23, the phrase prepared beforehand is the Greek word "protomize," which literally means to make ready. And I said this word prepared is in the aorist active verb tense, also denoting the action of somebody. Well, it's God's action again. So we have two places in that passage that teach exactly the same thing. God is predetermining and God is preparing beforehand. And who is he predestining or preparing beforehand? the elect, the true believer, the Christian, you and I. Now, before I move on, I just want to see if everybody was paying attention last week. When did God do all of this? Loud and clear. Amen. Amen. Before the foundation of the world. Now, I love this passage, and and I just can't skip it. I got to go there real quick. Put your finger in Romans and turn over Ephesians chapter 1. I just can't skip by it. I think it'd be sacrilegious. The great Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, In Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to begin in verse 3, but we want to look at verse 4. He said this, he said in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and Christ Jesus. Now Paul is going to launch in, and he's going to give a payout of praise to God, for all the many blessings in the spiritual heavenlies that he was talking about in verse three. Look at the first one. Just as God chose us in him, look when? Before the foundation of the world. Look at verse five, having predestined us according to the good pleasure of his will and on he goes. Friends, When God existed all alone with the Trinity, the Godhead, nothing had been created. Now, that's very hard. That means no sky, no moon, no stars, no darkness, no sun, no light, nothing. No earth, no galaxies, nothing existed but the triune God, the Godhead. And before he ever created anything, he obviously knew that Adam and Eve would fall in the garden. He knew that original sin would take place and get passed down to all men born of woman. And because he knew all of that, he predetermined, he prepared beforehand all of us in this sanctuary tonight to redeem us, to save us, to make us his elect, to make us his sons and daughters, to be joint heirs with Christ, to be adopted into his family. All of that is what salvation accomplished for us. That is the most magnificent God Ever. That he knew who we'd be and redeemed us. All the way back then. That's a God that I love. Because I'm going to tell you, he knew how rotten I'd be. And he didn't look at that. For whatever reason, it says that he found good pleasure. He found good pleasure in me? Hmm. I love that God. That's what he's done for the elect. God initiated it. God purposed it. God willed your salvation before the foundation of the world. Before the world was ever called into existence. God predestined, God prepared beforehand all true. Believers. Now, the first point last week was God's predetermination. Now let's look at the second point, God's purpose. Turn back with me, would you please to Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 30 once again? Let's read it one more time. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now, Paul's business, Paul's purpose here in verses 29 through 30 is to expound the last phrase at the end of verse 28. And it's this phrase, to those who are called according to God's purpose. He's going to expound that now in verses 29 and 30. So this phrase, first and foremost, is a declaration that God had a definite plan. That God had a definite purpose with respect to the salvation of souls. The expression, according to literally means in accordance with or because of. You see, the great comforting promise of Romans 8.28 is that God will overrule all things for the good of those that love him to those who are the called. Now, they are the called and are loved of God because of or according to God's purpose. Not anything good we've done, God's purpose. Because of or according to God's purpose. The end of verse 28. Friends, that is the ultimate explanation of the foreknowledge, predestination, calling, justification, and glorification of God's elect. That's the ultimate explanation of why. We are told here that God has decided, God has decreed, and God has delivered to those who are the called according to God's purpose. So the key, the key to our predestination is according to or because of God's purpose. Do you see that? The key to our predestination, the purpose, God's purpose was according to or because of him. Now, this great truth that we're examining, it's not confined to this passage alone. So allow me to illustrate this further yet. You're in Romans. Turn over to Romans chapter 9. And I've told you in the past that Romans 9, 10, and 11 is Paul's definitive arguments proving the sovereignty of God in the predestination of the true believer. And of course, he uses the illustration of Israel, God's elect. And in Romans chapter 9, verses 10 through 18, we find this. Here's his argument. And not only this, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, catch this, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him of God who calls. Verse 12. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not, Paul says. Let me stop there for a minute. Our English language does sometimes doesn't do justice to the original Greek language. The original Greek language, Paul didn't just say, certainly not. He says, absolutely not, may it never be. That's how he really said it to emphasize, there's no unrighteousness with God here. Verse 15, for God says to Moses, I will have compassion on whomever I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Verse 18, therefore, God has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills, he hardens. Now, friends, I'm going to do an exposition on Romans chapter nine in the future. I won't do it tonight. What I'm trying to show you tonight is how Paul makes it very clear that this is all about God's purpose, that it's all about his choice his selection, his predetermination, him alone. So this this expression, according to, really is exactly what it says. It's in accordance with or because of God. In Romans chapter nine, makes that very clear. Now, A particularly clear statement of this is also found in the first chapter of Ephesians. Now, we were just there. I forgot that I was there, and I should not have jumped ahead. But let's look at it again, because it's going to say exactly the same thing. Sorry we looked at it earlier, but I forgot I had it here in my notes. Go to Ephesians chapter 1 one more time, and let's look at verses 4 and 5. And you guys stop me in the future jumping ahead. Ephesians chapter one, verses four and five. Everybody there? Just as God chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us. Who's us? Who? Amen. The believers. Having predestined the believers, the true believer, the elect, the Christian, to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Now look who did it. According to the good pleasure of God's will. Verse 6. To the praise of the glory of God's grace by which God made us acceptable in the beloved. It couldn't be clearer. God's purpose and God's will are the same. They're one and the same. Let me say this: what God purposes, God wills. What God purposes, God wills. So we were in Ephesians. We're gonna we're gonna poke our, our nose a little further into it. Go to, go to chapter one. And let's pick it up now in verse 9. Actually, I'm going to go to verse 7. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Everybody there? Verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound... Towards us, there's us again. We have we and we have us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us, verse 9, there it is again, the mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Drop down to verse 11. In him also, there's we again, the true believers, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Couldn't be clearer. It could not be any clearer. It's God's purpose. According to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 11, God has purposed and willed in himself the salvation of his people. The elect. And it is according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself and according to the counsel of his will. Now, I love the New American Standard and I wish I would have started with it 26 years ago. I I use the King James, but I'm always reflecting over to the New American Standard. The NASB rendered Ephesians 1.9 this way, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. Isn't that beautiful? According to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. Our great and awesome God. Point number one last week was God's predetermination. Point number two tonight is God's purpose. Our third point, God's work. Now in describing how this plan of God actually finds its fulfillment, how it begins to operate, the apostle Paul uses the word works. Works. He uses the word works in Ephesians chapter one, verse 11. Look with me once again, would you please? The great apostle says that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Do you see who's doing what here? We're not doing a thing. We're doing nothing. In verse 11, God works all things. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. What God decrees, God will will. And this is Paul's way of saying that God is not only entirely responsible for the conception and the initiation of his purpose and will, but he is equally responsible for carrying it out. Let me repeat that because I think it's so critical we understand that. When Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, that God works all things according to the counsel of his will, this is Paul's way of saying that God is not only entirely responsible for the conception and the initiation of his purpose and will, but he is equally responsible for carrying it out. It's all of God. The action that we've been looking at last week and tonight, it's all of God's action. We're recipients of it. Remember Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus the Lord. He who began it, who began the good work in us? God. Who's going to complete it? God. It's all God. Fully, F-U-L-L-Y, it's fully God. It's solely God, S-O-L-E-L-Y, solely God. And it's holy God, W-H-O-L-L-Y. It's fully, solely, and wholly of God. The entire process, it's all of God from beginning to end. That's why He's, Christ is called the author and finisher of our faith in Hebrews. What God began, the good work in you, he will complete it. Now, another statement of this great truth is found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Would you look there with me? 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now, verse 9 is what we want to key in on, but I have a hard time just jumping right in a verse. I'm going to pick it up in verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Catch that? For the gospel according to the power of God. Verse 9. Who has saved us, the elect, and called us, the elect, with a holy calling or a set-aside calling or a set-apart calling, now catch this, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus, when? Before time began. One verse packed with all of that theology that we found in Romans chapter eight and Ephesians chapter one. I don't know how it can be said any clearer. These explicit statements tell us that God has decided upon a certain course of action. He made a decision. He planned a course of action and he is putting that plan into operation and we are the recipients of that plan and that operation. Friends, God not only predestined us, he not only predestined us, us all who believe, But scripture also tells us that God appointed us to believe and to salvation. It also says that God appointed us to believe and to salvation. Let me show this to you. Turn over to Acts chapter 13, would you please? Paul and Barnabas were preaching in Acts chapter 13. And in Acts chapter 13, verse 48, we found this verse penned. Everybody there? Acts chapter 13, verse 48. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, the gospel, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Friends, they were appointed to eternal life to believe at this time before the foundation of the world. Their appointment for salvation was determined before the foundation of the world. The call to salvation came to them 2,000 years ago, roughly, when they heard the gospel preached. But understand this that even the believing, the trusting, the faith was a gift. I'll flush that thought out a little bit later in our study, also. But they were appointed to believe. In other words, they would have never believed if they weren't appointed to believe. Last week, didn't I say to you two college kids that go to a Billy Graham crusade? They're sitting in whatever Coliseum and then whatever venue they are in, and Billy Graham gives a clear and concise gospel presentation. One young man believes and embraces Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior and is saved and the other man sitting next to him, his best friend, doesn't. Why is that? One of them was appointed to salvation. One of them was predetermined and predestined to believe. If you ever are tempted to say, that's not fair, don't say that don't say that. Say this. Father, thank you that you predestined me to believe, to have faith, to trust in your son. If you change the focus on the fact that you are born again because of what he did for you before the foundation of the world, it will change your entire relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Remember, I said, whatever we do, don't call into justice what God's doing here. Don't do that. If he was just, we'd all go to hell. The fact that he exercised mercy and grace is what sends me to my knees in adoration of him. Last weekend at our service, all of the songs, all the choruses and hymns that we sang, I wanted to raise my hands. I just wanted to raise my hands in adoration of the great and awesome God that's done what he has done on our behalf. And Jim made that so clear in the text, in the passage, and every song we sang exalted the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We have a lot to be thankful for beyond measure. The fact that he appointed us to believe. Now, not only Acts thirteen forty eight says that. Go over to First Thessalonians chapter five verse nine, and look what the apostle Paul said to the Thessalonians. First Thessalonians five nine. Very familiar verse to all of us until everybody's there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. Everybody there? For God did not appoint us to wrath, but he appointed us to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. As long as we're... There. Turn back to chapter 2, verse 13. Let me me read this to you, as long as we're in 1 Thessalonians. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. Verse 13, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also, look what it says, effectively works in you who believe, who believe. Of course, we're going to thank God. Who, who else are we going to thank? Turn over to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. As long as we're there, I, I, I might as well hit these verses. And while you're turning there, why is it Why is it that we pray to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Why is it we pray to God to redeem our lost friends, family, neighbors, etc.? Why is it? (laughs) You're right. And he's the one who saves. We 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 don't pray to each other. We don't call out to each other. We call out to God. Now look what the... Paul said to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, but we are bound to give thanks to who? God. How often? Always. For you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from, look what it says, the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. Verse 14, to which he called you by our gospel. Let's keep going. For the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or epistle. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us an everlasting consolation or comfort and good hope by what? Grace. (laughs) Oh, our God is so great. So great and so good. Friends, the word appointed or the or, or 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 the word appointed comes from the Greek word horizio or horizo, which is a synonym of parisio and the Greek word rendered predestined. Isn't that coincidental? <laughs> no. No coincidence there. Appoint or appointed comes from the Greek word heresio, which is a synonym of peresio, the Greek word rendered predestined. Heresio literally means to mark out definitely or determine or to appoint. The word can be rendered destined as the new American Standard Bible rendered it. Anybody have NASB here tonight? Jan, we're destined? Yeah. Friends, the word here expresses the unalterable outworking of God's sovereign plan for the salvation of the elect. Let me repeat this. The word here expresses the unalterable Notice the word I'm using. Unalterable working, outworking of God's sovereign plan for the salvation of the elect. It's unalterable. Why did God do this? Why did God predestine you and why did God predestine me to salvation? Why did he do that? Turn to Ephesians chapter two. We're going to let the word of God answer that big question. Chapter two of Ephesians. The two verses I really want to look at are four and five. But I'm going to start in verse one. And we're going to look at chapter two of Ephesians in the very near future at great depth. But for tonight, verse four and five is going to suffice the question I asked, but I want to pick it up in verse two. So you'll understand what's wrong with us. Here's what's wrong with us. Chapter two, verse one. And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. It's called we were totally depraved, totally unable. We were dead in trespasses and sins. Now I got to ask you something. Can a dead man raise himself up? No, absolutely not. We were spiritually dead before we believed. You who he made alive, who were "...spiritually dead in trespasses and sins, "...in which you once walked according to the course of this world, "...according to the prince of the power of the air, Satan, "...the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, "...among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, "...fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others, but God, but God, beloved, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, and by grace you have been saved. Verse six, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Friends, that's why Paul so adamantly, adamantly in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, said that salvation is a gift of God. People debate all the time, is faith a gift or is grace a gift? They both are. Let me say this, and we are going to look at this, and I'm actually going to, when we look at it close, I'm going to exegete it and show you how we take hermeneutics and extract the meaning of a text. And we're going to use Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. But let me say this tonight. The faith that you exercised when you believed and trusted and repented is a gift of God. You didn't muster up that faith. You didn't just bring it up out of your inner self to believe. You were appointed to believe, It said tonight. And Paul says that the faith is a gift of God. And he was adamant about it. And he used specific words in the Greek language to be specific about that gift. That's why Jonah chapter two, verse nine said this emphatically, salvation is of the Lord, period, period. So in closing, in closing our study of this tremendous doctrine that we call predestination, I wanna ask you, are you starting to see how the end of your salvation is determined by the beginning. Are you starting to see that? Are you starting to see where we began in the doctrines of grace? We began by backing into the doctrines and started at the perseverance of the saints. Now, the reason we will persevere to the end, why we are eternally secure, is completely because of what took place at the beginning. The end of your salvation in mind is determined by the beginning. The eternality of your salvation is so because of what God has done for you in the beginning. We can't help but be eternally secure. And the agent by whom your salvation is carried out is ultimately God himself. And over and over again, scripture states that it is God who carries out your salvation unto the end. Can't escape it. You can manipulate it. Didn't I say this last week that it was... uh, Chuck Missler, I believe, who said, if you torture a text long enough, it'll say anything. We don't torture the text at Kootenai Community Church. We extract the meaning of the text and let the text speak for itself. And over and over and over again, everywhere we've been since we started the doctrines of grace is it all points to God from beginning and end. Now, look once again, one more time. We're going to wrap it up. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 30. And I just want to cement it. I want to cement in us what God's doing. The great apostle Paul said this, and we know Romans eight twenty-eight through thirty, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the call according to God's purpose, for whom God foreknew, God also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom God predestined, these God also called. And whom God called, these God also justified. And whom God justified, these God also glorified. Loved ones, God himself not only planned our salvation, but he purposed it. God himself not only thought of it, he initiated it, but it is God ultimately who is carrying out the putting your salvation into operation. Yes, believers are the called according to the eternal purpose of God the Father. It's emphatic, his purpose, it's emphatic. It's God's purpose, God's plan, God's resolve, God's will. And when God decides to do anything, God performs. That's why Paul's heart gushed open with the opening statements in Ephesians. Chapter one, verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. His heart was gushing from chapter, verse three to verse 14. And one of the ways that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing is when he predestined us to eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now, in closing, I want to read you just two things real quick. I want to read you Charles Spurgeon. Young Charles Spurgeon. He says, that I quote, I was sitting down one day, gratefully reflecting on what God had done for me. I knew that my sins were pardoned. I knew that I was accepted in Christ Jesus. And I knew that I was renewed at heart. And in one moment, the revelation came to me. All this is the work of God. The instant I saw that truth, I said to myself, yes, that is the fact and God be glorified for it. But why has this great work been wrought in me? I knew that there was no merit in me before the Lord had dealt in mercy with my soul. So I had said to myself, this is the effect of Sovereign, distinguishing grace. Then I understood in a moment how it is that God begins with us and that it is God's will and God's eternal purpose, which after all lie deeper down than our will or our purpose. And God's will and God's eternal purpose must have the glory. What a revelation it was to me. I saw the doctrines of grace immediately, and I think that anybody who has been brought to find the Savior, who prayerfully studies the reasons for his salvation, can see the same truth that the Lord revealed to me. Because first of all, you began to be thoughtful, did you not? Who made you thoughtful? You would never have found the Savior if you had become thoughtful instead of careless and indifferent. Who made you think of divine things? What influence was it which wrought upon you and caused you to feel that you must think about eternity and heaven and hell? Surely it was God, the Holy Ghost, going forth in the name of Jesus Christ and dealing with you in mercy. Then you had a sense of your need and of your sinfulness. There was a time when you had no such sense. Then who gave it to you? Where do you think that repentance, that sorrow for sin, that desire after Christ came from? Did all that grow in your own fallen human nature? Ah, believe me, that dung hill never brought forth such fair flowers as these. No, it was Christ who sowed the good seed in your soul. It was he who made you feel your need in him, End of quote. Isn't that rich? Nobody but Charles Spurgeon could say something so beautiful as that. And then I love the words of an old hymn, which says, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Isn't that uh, Martin Luther? No, top lady. Yeah, Augustus top lady, I believe. Look, Somebody look into that. If I need correcting, correct me. Any questions? Any comments? Any, any thoughts whatsoever? Don't be shy. I take all comments. Okay. Predestination. We've looked at the perseverance of the saints. We've looked at foreknowledge. We've looked at predestination. Next week, we're going to look at the great subject of election. Election. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again for these magnificent truths. Help us now to embrace them and realize that you predetermined our salvation before the world began. And you purpose beforehand to redeem us. And you appointed us to salvation and to believe and to exercise faith. Father, we thank you for the fact that it's all of you. It's none of us. We merit no favor here. If we were to merit any favor here, it wouldn't be grace. Grace but Father, it was the grace that you lavished upon us in Christ Jesus the Lord. And for that, we're eternally thankful. As we leave here tonight, stir our hearts, stir our minds, maybe have us have conversations with one another if we're not alone. If we're alone, stir our hearts to think on these great truths and help us at the end to fall more and more in love with you And help us do that beginning tonight. Help us see how magnificent and what a great gift it is and why that we love you because you first loved us. We thank you for this magnificent gift that we call salvation. Thank you for purposing to save us before the foundation of the world. Father, we bow before you and we exalt your great and holy name and we do so in the magnificent name of your precious and most dearest son.